Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 183 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Jill. Jill, what's going on? Not much. How are you? I am still cold, much like I was last time. Uh, although it's not as cold in Cleveland, but we just got a bucket of snow. We did. We got a lot of snow. It was, I woke up this morning and I, like, we're recording this on Thursday and, uh, I, I cleaned off my car and my wife's car and it, it's that snow where, like, I wish I was a kid because I want to go sledding and playing it and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Well, <laughs> one of our coworkers told me yesterday that it was called Winter Storm Chloe, which is the name of my cat. It's Chloe. I was like, oh, that's cute. They okay. name winter storms now? Apparently, winter storm Chloe. That feels... There's so many of them around here. I don't know. And I wouldn't even qualify this as a winter storm. I wouldn't either, but I think we probably... I don't know if we were directly hit by winter storm, mm. but we may have gotten... Winter storm Chloe spread snow from the Great Lakes into the Northeast. So mm. I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. That's from the Weather Channel. Weather.com, whatever. I always like when storms are called nor'easters. Just, <laughs> it's fun to say. I'm a dork. What did we do today? Today's episode is an interview we did with author Susan Orlean, who um, is known best for The Orchid Thief, which was then turned into a movie. She was portrayed by Meryl, uh, Meryl Streep, which of course I had to ask her about. Um, so she wrote The Orchid Thief. She is working on something new, which you will maybe mention in a minute. But she is actually a local, uh, a native to the Cleveland area and um so she was in town and came by our offices yeah um it was fun it was one of these things where uh, our ceo has like a friendship with her family and he came up to us one day he's like do you guys want to interview susan orlean and we we're like what <laughs> sure sure and he's like okay good she's coming she's coming in the office i, I already told her about it and he's like okay we're excited thanks steve yeah um but man she was a lot of fun she tells she tells us some really great stories about the orchid thief like how the writing process happened and um yeah it was a blast uh love when people are in the office with us me too so much fun to do um if people want to get a hold of us how can they do that um they can find us on instagram and twitter at pro book nerds and they can email us directly at professional book nerds at overdrive.com. Yes, they can. I just had this brain freeze. That's okay. Um, I also just had a brain freeze. You didn't mention what her new book is about, right? No, okay. I did not. That's okay. So um, just because I'm like, we're going to talk about it and then we're not. So uh, I will say it's library related to one of our, um, one of the big library partners we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about LAPL and I won't spoil about what it's about because I was fascinated by the stories that she's working on and, and she tells and um, hopefully you will be too. So I'm really excited for that book to come out. Yeah, I also am very excited. And I will say, this was one of those interviews where you and I prepared a bunch of stuff. And then we just got on all these tangents. And she was so much fun to talk to that it, it went for like 40 or 45 minutes. And it was we got to like a third of the questions we wanted to ask. Yeah, her, we had just because she was so yeah, much fun. Yeah. Um, so hopefully she'll come back because she's 
local we could talk we'll about. have to when she comes back we'll have to talk about her library book exactly yeah she's susan you're always welcome on our show and not just because you're local because you're awesome uh also you mentioned following us on twitter and instagram uh keep those dog and dog and cat pictures coming tagging us in those we love seeing those also if you do follow us on twitter um we've been posting a whole bunch of books that joe and i have really enjoyed reading this this year so right we will have um in the coming weeks we're going to have two best of book episodes best Mm -hmm. of 2017 the first is going to be overdrive staff and then adam and i will have our own particular list of best of the ones we're posting on twitter these are the ones that did not make our top list yeah well still really good two things they either didn't make the top like the top top list that you and i love or my other way of looking at it was like they weren't written this year kind of a thing so like there's some books that i've been putting on twitter that i loved reading this year like um the hike by drew mcgarry but it wasn't written this year so i don't want to make it in my my top books of 2017 so um but yeah we're we're making a nice we're taking advantage of twitter's new thread tool and and making a long thread of those yeah Uh, anything else you can think of people should know about i think that might be everything i think that's everything as well um okay well i hope you guys enjoy this interview with the wonderful susan orlean on the professional book nerds podcast Hi everyone, it's Adam and Jill again, and today we're incredibly excited. Uh, we have Susan Orlean in our offices with us. She is the best-selling author of several books, including The Orchid Thief, Rin Tin Tin, and My Kind of Place, as well as a contributor to New York, uh, The New Yorker, amongst many other publications. She's a lover of dogs, bonus points, and was born and raised in Cleveland, even more bonus points. And as I mentioned, she's here with us in person, which is the most bonus points for us, way better. So Susan... Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted. And, and I have to say a shout out to my hometown. <sighs> and I feel an enormous amount of pride to think that you guys with your uh, this mega company that's so influential in the world of reading these days is based here in Cleveland. And I'm thrilled. We, we actually have a coworker who uh, did not know we were based in Cleveland until she listened to our podcast. And then uh, she wasn't working with us at the time, but um, yeah, she's like, wait, they're in Cleveland. And then she applied and she got a job. And so her very first day, she came and introduced herself to us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, and, then, and then she has since been on the podcast mm-hmm. once or twice. So yeah. it came full circle where <laughs> she's like, I was a fan of the podcast and now I'm on the podcast working with the company. <laughs> that, so, Well, it is uh, the nature of being from Cleveland that um, you've got underdog mentality mm-hmm. and it's, I'm, Mm-hmm. probably disproportionately thrilled when I hear about something good in because I love <laughs> growing up here it was it's a great city and it, it just makes me happy yeah well Jill and I can't take full credit for the existence of overdrive well go but ahead because no one else is talking on the podcast I guess you're welcome <laughs> yeah, you're welcome yeah, world. yeah. <laughs> no go ahead take full credit so, all right so we do have I guess we should talk about actual things um so as we mentioned, you've written several books. You've been a writer all your life. So I'm just curious, how? what was your path to becoming a writer? Did you always know growing up you wanted to write? Just kind of maybe like take us through your, your roots in Cleveland. Uh, 
it it seems almost incredible to say, but I knew that I wanted to be a writer from the time I could lift a pencil. It, and I know that's not true for every writer. A lot of people come to it much later in life, but I think I was just. I love stories, I love storytelling, and I loved how magical it seemed to write a story and it was almost like capturing time that you could take people back and have them experience something that had already happened. In a sense, it's like a photograph mm -hmm. that you, there is a magical quality to it. And I began writing little journals when I was five or six years old. I'm sure they were horrible, but, <laughs> but I did. And my family took a big trip that year, uh, driving cross country. And I wrote a little book about taking that trip. The fact is then I never actively wanted to be anything other than a writer. And I never went through a period where I wanted to be something else. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how you became a writer. I didn't know what it meant in terms of a profession. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And I never had the sidetrack of, you know, wanting to be a ballerina or wanting to be a nurse or wanting, you know, I didn't have those other professional kind of moments mm -hmm. the way a lot of kids do. I had wonderful English teachers, um, in junior high and high school, and they really encouraged me. It made me feel like this was something I had the capacity to do. And when I graduated from college, I thought, okay, now how do you do it? <laughs> how is this a profession? How do you actually make it happen, particularly knowing what kind of writing I wanted to do, which was long-form literary journalism? There's not a very clear career path for that. So I just uh, crossed my fingers and dove in. It's amazing. I kind of want to follow up with that by asking, so if there are people who are listening and that sort of is a career path they want to do, do you have any suggestions for them? Well, I, th I do, and it has evolved over the last 10 years while the field of journalism has changed so much, but I don't despair at all because the appetite for stories has not changed, but the means of delivering them has changed. If you really want to be a writer, the most important thing is to write. And that means finding whatever opportunity you have, it, it, whatever it is, um, I used to direct people to get jobs um, at alternative news weeklies, but most of them have gone. Mm -hmm. So I think the 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 sort of replacement for that would be probably the websites of good publications because they they have a lot of room mm -hmm. and they can accommodate young writers who don't have a lot of experience. Um, and they're legitimate. I discourage people from blogging, and I'm not sure anyone blogs anymore anyway, but it, 
I don't think that. I think you need to write somewhere where there is going to be an editor to look at what you're doing and tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, and that you have the sense of an audience mm -hmm. because nonfiction writing is fundamentally a form of communication. Mm -hmm. If you are blogging with no sense at all of an audience, mm -hmm. you're really just keeping a journal. If you're writing and it's being published and having the potential of a significant audience, you have to think about what it means to write to an audience. And I think that's so important. I, I love the, the part about you know, finding a publication of some sort because one of the most daunting things I feel about writing a book, you I'm sitting here with two authors, Jill has also written a book, um, I, the idea, the thought of coming up with a negative, an idea to then stick with, whereas if you're at a publication, like, of course you can pitch them things that you want to write about, but they're also going to tell you like, okay, we need you to do X, right. Y, and Z, and you need to have it by this particular day. Cause right. it's really easy for me to say, I'm going to write a short story about my dogs and then get halfway through it and there's not, sometimes there's nothing to keep right. pushing you, so that it does, it forces you to finish something, which is something authors always talk and about. And I, I think it's really important. I think it's also important to learn how to dig in and figure out, all right, I have two days to write a story that, I think it's even good to get an assignment that seems really boring mm -hmm. and think, okay, how do I make this interesting? Um, pure self-indulgence is not a good way to be a writer because again that's just purely solipsistic it's not about communicating and if your editor says we need a profile of this county commissioner and you have two days to do it and I say this because I had an assignment to <laughs> profile a county commissioner and I thought oh my god this is like the worst <laughs> possible thing and I thought alright I've got to figure out how do I make this interesting and how do I do it in a very short amount of time. I ended up being really proud of it, partly because I overcame. It wasn't just me saying, Oh, I want to write about my dog, which of course I want, of course I want to write right. about my dog. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But I'm a writer. I have a set of tools that I should be able to apply to subjects that don't immediately speak to me. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the nature of learning to be a professional writer. And, you know, your dream is to get to a point where you're not being told to profile the county commissioner. Mm -hmm. But the way, it's why artists begin by doing a lot of still lifes and uh, life drawings, mm -hmm. because you're given these very, very specific circumscribed assignments. And when you get really good at them, then you can go on and, and paint, you know, throw paint at a wall and express yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite article you've ever written? Um, I have, yeah, I guess I think I, well, I, I guess I have a couple <laughs> now I'm, my mind is running all over the place. Um, Perhaps it is a story that I actually did for Esquire called The American Man Age 10. Um, Esquire had asked me to profile, um, they were doing a special issue 
called The American Man, and they were showing American men at various ages, and they decided to do a 10-year-old boy. And the 10-year-old boy they wanted to do was Macaulay Culkin, who was 10 at the time. Just a normal, typical 10-year-old Macaulay Culkin when he was 10. And and my reaction was that exactly, where I said, how about instead I do a typical 10-year-old boy? Um, And to my amazement, they agreed, and I just found a 10-year-old boy in New Jersey, and profiled him. It was the essence of the non-story story. There was no story. It was really just what's life like for a 10-year-old kid in suburbia. And I'm really uh, amazed that it it came out. I mean, it was something that midway through, I thought, oh my God, I should have profiled Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> this is so hard. But it's, of all the stories I've written, it's the one that's been the most frequently anthologized mm-hmm. and um, studied probably as an example of writing a story where there is no story. <laughs> um, but I'm, I am really proud of it. It was a very emotional experience and a, a really a way of stating what I care about as a writer, which mm-hmm. is uh, stories don't have to include a famous person or dramatic event. Mm-hmm. That being a writer can be just simply having a big bright flashlight that you shine on different parts of society, mm-hmm. of life, of experience and that's a sufficient reason for writing anything which is just to say it's good for us to know each other and Mm. to know what life is like for different people and it doesn't require drama those aren't easy stories to write by the way Mm -hmm. and I would say they're probably the hardest to write but I feel really strongly that that's a very, very valuable thing to write about. Yeah, I'm thinking you probably more accurately described uh, a 10-year-old boy as opposed... You know, not all of us achieved international fame by the time we were <laughs> right. 10 years old. So, right, yeah. right. Um, he was too singular uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. an example. And having written about celebrities, I also know that you never really get the real story. And he would have had a publicist sitting there and a yeah. manager sitting there and it would have been entirely phony. Oh, it would be like asking someone, like, we want you to chronicle the life of toddlers, you know, like the Olsen twins. Like, it's, right. just, it's not realistic. Right, so. it just didn't make any sense. And I give Esquire a huge amount of credit for letting me do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, magazines sell a lot better if they have famous people. Absolutely. So yeah. to my uh, hat is off to them for mm-hmm. saying, sure, that, that sounds fine. So speaking somewhat of fame, you're probably best known for The Orchid Thief, your book. And a lot of times when we're talking to authors uh, about their books, we ask them to give an explanation of what the book is about, but seeing as how it's such a famous book and it's been out for a while, instead we're kind of more interested in what do you remember about the experience of writing The Orchid Thief? Because it's such a unique thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, well, it, it was very funny because... I personally don't like Florida, and I don't like the weather, and I don't like the place. <laughs> and suddenly, I found myself in Florida 
all over and over again and thinking, what, what did I, why, why am I doing this? I can't remember why I'm doing this. <laughs> um, it was also a throw the net really wide story because I would literally wake up in the morning and think, okay, what should I report about today? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, I was making it up as I went along and I felt unbelievably lost through so much of the book because I was grasping at this thing that I was trying to understand, which was why was this story so compelling mm -hmm. to me? Um, I also had the pleasure and and nightmare of a subject who was so maddening, John <laughs> LaRoche, who was both, you know, brilliant and eccentric and funny, but he was also so frustrating. It's really funny to have to have dealt with somebody like that for, I reported the book for about two years. I'll give you an example. He had kept promising that he would take me for a hike in the swamp and we were going to go see these ghost orchids, which were the kind of orchids that he had been arrested for stealing. And this, I felt, was an extremely important part of the book, was to see this ghost orchid. So he kept canceling on me and canceling on me, and then something else would come up and he would cancel. And finally... The day had come. It looked like we were really going to go for the hike. And I said to him, look, we're going to be out there for some hours. So what should we bring stuff like food mm -hmm. and water? And he said, don't worry. I'll bring everything we need. <laughs> um, I thought, okay, you know, he knows the backwoods. We, I'm in good hands. And I drove to pick him up. And he had nothing with him. And I said, uh, like, where where are our snacks and yeah. water and <laughs> compass? And, and he patted his chest pocket and he said, well, I've got cigarettes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like going on a trip with, like, Hunter S. Thompson. I know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I was just sort of jaw drop. Uh, and you know, not to mention FYI, I don't smoke. So <laughs> it was, he had, he was all set. He had his cigarettes. Right. That was fine. We, we stopped along the way to get some water. I thought at the very least, I'm not going anyway, we go into the swamp and he has said to me, I know this place like the back of my hand. I've been in here, you know, a million times because I said, do you have any kind of map right no 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 i don't need a map i've been and a swamp is you know you've got lots of trees and they all kind of look the <laughs> same and there aren't what you would call landmarks <laughs> and it's it's perfectly flat so it's also not like you can say all right i'm walking towards that mountain <laughs> it's flat and dense and you know the punchline, which is that we we got lost. And he had no clue of where we were. And I began having this rising sense of panic, which was thinking that we were going to have to sleep there because the only thing I thought is at least when the sun rises, we'll know that that's right. 
east and we can walk toward it. We had nothing. We didn't have a compass, nothing. Um, and I, I, you know, you see a tree, you think that tree looks familiar. I think we passed it already. <laughs> well, that's because all the trees look familiar. <laughs> it, it was really, I, I thought, all right, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm done. And I thought, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not, that's not going to help me get out, but it'll just make me feel better. <laughs> this, is Florida, this is the most Florida story I've ever heard. Oh, completely. I mean, it was, it was so funny. And he made a fake compass, said, oh, you know, I'll make a sundial. That'll get us out. And it was, oh. So it was, um, I had a few moments where I thought, why am I doing this? Why don't I have an office job? You know, what am I doing here? And reporting, even when it's going well, it, it can be quite lonely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. generally with people who you don't know, and it's, it's a very one-sided, you know, they're not there to learn about you. You're there to learn about them. And it can be lonely. Mm-hmm. And you can feel, even in the very best of times, the sense of what am I doing? What what am I? Why am I here? And what am I trying to figure out? And that in that book in particular, I mean, really all of them, but that that book in particular made me mm-hmm. very aware of that feeling and thinking, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? The struggle ends up being very much you know, important in the book. Um, and essential really to some of the deeper themes in the book. So looking back, I feel like it was useful, but at the moment you think, I just want to go home. I just want to go home and not be in a swamp and like watch television and get me out of here. And I don't want to be with this madman who brings cigarettes on a hike (laughs) Uh, so of course we have to ask about the movie adaptation, which is not so much an adaptation of the Orchid Thief, but is more in a movie about the adaptation of the Orchid yeah. Thief. Yeah. <laughs> and you, of course, were played by Meryl Streep. Right. Just tell us everything. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Full stop. yeah. <laughs> well, this is a it's a funny story. Um, you know, when the book was optioned, I. I frankly thought, wow, this is nuts. I don't see how you could option this book. (laughs) Or I don't see how this could be made into a movie. It's not typically cinematic. I mean, it it was a lot, there's a lot of interior sort of monologue. And, but then I thought, you know what, you want to option it, it's your problem. (laughs) You know, call me when it's done. And I didn't hear from them for a long time. Um, and then I, and I do remember talking about this with my husband, saying, "You know what? They're they're gonna change it. They'll have to change it. They'll make more of a romance or make more the crime more dramatic. I mean, it's the only way I could imagine the book being right. made into a movie. Anyway, I heard nothing from the producers for quite a long time. I began wondering what was going on." Um, Finally, they called me, and they were very circumspect and said, well, we do have this a script. 
Um, and I said, well, good, send it over. They said, oh, no, 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 let's meet. Let's have lunch. <laughs> and I, I said, all right, well, I mean, it'd be just, it'd be easier to put it in the mail, but I'll meet <laughs> you for lunch. Had lunch. It was a very lavish, expensive lunch. I was encouraged to drink during lunch. Sure. You know, have some right. wine, have more wine. Finally, <laughs> end of the meal, and I'm thinking, look, I got to get going here, but how about that script? Yeah. And the um, producer said to me, well, okay, let me just, before you read it, it's a little different from the book. And there are people in it who are not in the book. And I said, okay. And he said, and just, you know, it, it, it has two screenwriters, Charlie and Donald Kaufman. Oh. And I said, okay. And they gave me every possible <laughs> warning, like, and it's going to be different. And some of it may surprise you. And I thought, okay, fine. I get it. So they give me the script and they said, call the minute you read it. <laughs> I got back to my office. I started flipping through, and there's me as a child. <laughs> there's me, my parents, having some insane argument while I'm a child. Then there's me on a porn site. Then there, and I'm looking at thinking, you clearly gave me the wrong script. I mean, this couldn't possibly <laughs> be my book. Um, and my first reaction was absolutely not. I'm sorry, you know. I mean, legally, they had the right to make the movie, but I said, you cannot use my name. You can't have me in the book, in, in the movie. And they began the charm offensive, which is, well, everybody else is using their real name, and Charlie's <laughs> using his real name, and it's way more embarrassing for him because he's constantly masturbating through the movie, <laughs> and you have nothing to feel bad about. And I don't know why, but one day I woke up and thought, all right, fine. Yeah. Um, they hadn't cast anybody yet. So there was a part of me that thought, oh, let's make sure, let's see how that goes. So when they told me that Meryl Streep was going to play my part, I thought, okay, phew, <laughs> no matter what. And she had been reluctant, but her kids read it mm -hmm. and said to her, you've got to do this. This is, you, you have to do this movie. It's amazing. And I will say it, it marked a point in her career where, I mean, she's always been amazing, but she was in that moment for a lot of actresses where they're trying to figure out mm -hmm. what to do with you when you're no longer an ingenue. And that role really changed a lot for her also because she was really funny. And I think people weren't used to her right. being funny. Um, it, it was a very bizarre experience. We went on set to watch them shoot a little bit and then also had, uh, some cameos, which sadly got cut out. I'm still bitter about it. Mm -hmm. In the future, I will write that into my contract yeah. that my cameo stays in. But actually my husband had a, a much bigger cameo, but that got cut out too. The original cut of the movie was like four hours long. Oh, wow. Um, and I met Charlie on the set, and we both like ran in the opposite direction. <laughs> it was very 
I said to him, I'm, I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to meet you. And he said, not as embarrassed as I am. And he was going, yeah. <laughs> opposite directions. Um, the first time I saw the movie, I should have been sedated because <laughs> I was so nervous right. because part of me was like being nine months pregnant and thinking, I don't know, maybe I don't want a baby. <laughs> so as I'm walking in, I said to my agent, is it too late to say no? And, <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like $20 million too late to say no. I watched the first cut and if you had asked me when it ended, what it was about, I couldn't have told you. I was in such a state mm -hmm. of shock. And then I said to them afterward, look, my one only, you know, rule here is you can never show it in Cleveland. Because I thought, I can't have my parents see yeah. this. <laughs> no matter what. Um, and they looked at me and sort of, just to humor me, said, oh, yeah, okay, we'll see if we can arrange that. <laughs> yeah. um, seeing it with my parents then the first time, I brought a bunch of friends, and I said, just anytime it's weird, just laugh. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> then my parents will think, oh, it's just funny. Yeah. Um, oh, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's been, I mean, obviously, I think it's really one of the most important movies of, you know, modern mm -hmm. cinema. And truly marked a, a moment of a certain kind of meta movie yeah. that's really, I think a lot of people look at it as, as a real trailblazing mm -hmm. film. So I couldn't be prouder mm -hmm. to be part of it. So we, and I promise we'll move on in a minute. I promise. But uh, we were talking about before we started recording about, you know, Joe and I have been fortunate to meet some like relatively pretty famous people. And like the few times we have like, like, Oh, that's, look at who that person is and they kind of like lost their minds like I mean Charlie Kaufman Meryl Streep Nick Cage like these names are ridiculous to me did you have like interaction with them other than kind of being on set a little bit like did you get to interact with these people and like yeah well Meryl um and Charlie uh have I consider them friends and I actually spent a fair amount of time with Meryl Streep after the movie and Charlie also, I mean, it, <laughs> after we got over initial awkwardness, right. um, I spent time with him and, and, and with Spike Jones and, you know, came to feel that I definitely feel that they're friends Nick Cage is another animal. He's super weird. You could just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, he was really very, very nice and funny mm -hmm. and great. But I think he's uh, lives in some other okay. uh, f at another frequency that oh, yeah. a lot of people don't in live a castle in. with his dinosaurs. Yeah, and yes, he's pretty super weird. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy to meet people. Well, this is a funny story. I was an extra once in a movie, and it was The Deer Hunter, which was Meryl Streep's first movie, and, and it was shot in, right. Cleveland, in Cleveland, which is why I was in it. A mm -hmm. friend of mine here was um, being the extra wrangler, and I was home at Thanksgiving, I believe, and mm -hmm. they were shooting, 
And he said, please, we need more people to be in the wedding scene. The deer hunter. And we were like, whatever. The deer hunter sounds really stupid. And, um, (laughs) and so I and a friend went down to the, uh, it's a Greek Orthodox church. Yeah. 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 Beautiful, beautiful building shot all day long wearing heavy clothes because it was supposed to take place in the winter. And Mm -hmm. It may maybe wasn't Thanksgiving. It was hot out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when I first, I thought this is very funny mm-hmm. to come full circle and be in this, yeah. you know, this experience with Meryl Streep, who I didn't even speak to her. I mean, when you're an extra, you're just right. being herded into mm-hmm. corners and spread out. But it was a funny, lovely yeah. um sort of coincidence and of course it went on to win the Oscar for best picture and it it was an epic movie we thought it was a a children's movie because of the name I mean we thought it is not no no I would say it's absolutely not but we we knew nothing about the movie and we thought it sounded like what is the follow-up to Bambi or something (laughs) well there's definitely both I suppose yeah um all right, we actually we have a bunch more questions that we had written down, but something we learned before we started re- recording, you are writing a new book. Yes. And we should absolutely promote that, yes. given the type of company we are. So the uh, floor is yours. Oh, well, it's very exciting. Um, the book is at least tentatively titled The Library Book. I am a fairly recent transplant to Los Angeles and was being given a tour of the library. And I grew up in libraries. I spent so much time in libraries. I have a really deep affection for them and a lot of memories attached to them. I was being given a tour of the gorgeous um, Central Library in LA and feeling as if I was stepping back into this world of libraries and became really fascinating to me. And I thought, wow, what would it be, what would it be like to write about a year in a public library and everything that goes on there? And that really began nagging at me. I then learned um, quite unexpectedly that the downtown library in LA was also the site of the largest library fire in the history of the US. In 1986, there was an arson fire that burned 400,000 books and and damaged 700,000 more. So that's more than half of their entire collection. The library was shut down for seven years. And it, it was a, a real catastrophe, and the library recovered, but it, it, it fascinated me, and I decided to do a book that, was bo- that combined both a look at this amazing event of the fire mm-hmm. and the, the life and times mm-hmm. of, of a big city library, which to me is just this amazing, rich, it's like a mini world. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that happens outside also yeah. happens yeah. in the library. It's like, a, it, I was in New York City earlier this year for Book Expo America, and 
walking past NYPL, like, you know, the main famous library, but it's like, it's this, like, you're in this massive, massive city, but the library is just this, like, hub of a community where you, yeah. you see every walk of life within just forgetting even inside like the mm-hmm, steps of the library yeah. and LA yeah. Mill is the same way like you literally can see someone from all walks of life it, coupled in like one shot and you know what the thing that really struck me is there aren't that many places like that in society right places where it doesn't cost anything to be there where everybody is welcome where it it functions more and more like a town commons with and i think it's even growing as more and more people um you know enter the gig economy mm-hmm. and they don't work at offices yeah. i was writing the other day at our branch library and looked around and it it was this range of people many of whom i'm guessing are people who are independent contractors for some kind of work and they don't want to be sitting at home right or they don't have room at home Mm -hmm. to work um and you're in an environment where if you need help there are nice people who can help find information for you it's sort of an ideal uh co-working space yeah plus libraries have extended into education literacy classes they they've really grown to be a a really important all-encompassing center for the people and they have a presence in most people's minds as being um non-judgmental i mean i had an interesting conversation with one of the librarians at lapl who was interviewing used to work in a branch library in la in a pretty tough neighborhood and he said these um drug dealers and gang leaders would come into the library and ask him to help them do their tax returns and i said First of all, the tax forms were in the library. Yeah. yeah. And secondly, he knew what they were. They knew that he knew that they were drug dealers, mm-hmm. but he had no judgment about it. And he would help them, even though this wasn't in his job description, just help them understand how to fill out the form. They wouldn't go to an H&R Block. They wouldn't go to the IRS <laughs> because... Suddenly, they're in a position of um, judgment and exposure, and he could just inform them how to fill it in. And I thought, that that is the essence of libraries, Mm -hmm. which is a place where everyone is welcome and no one is judged, and it's a huge challenge for libraries it is yeah Uh, i mean i'm writing a section now about dealing with um the overwhelming issue of homelessness and in a culture where we've removed many of the social services for homeless people one place where they can go that is dry and warm and has internet Mm -hmm. and bathrooms are libraries 
We have 70,000 more questions we want to ask you, but if we keep you too much longer, our CEO is going to yell at us. <laughs> um, so we're going to skip to the end what we do at the end of every podcast. We call it the Nerd Nine. It's nine. They're never rapid fire questions, but we're going to try and make them rapid okay. fire this time. So right. things this like, is like, the, like word association. What's it kind called? Of. The, um, the flash round? Yes. Yeah. The flash lightning round. round. The lightning, yeah. lightning round. round. So I'm going to let you do them. Joe. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh oh, I'm nervous. Do I get graded? No, these okay. are these are as lighthearted as everything Don't else. Don't worry, these are not yeah, not tough questions. Um, what was the last book you finished reading? Uh, Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. Do you have a favorite place to read? In bed. What book made you fall in love with reading? Ooh. Um, well, probably ones when I was really young, but the one that just lit me on fire was The Sound and the Fury, mm-hmm. William Faulkner. One place you'd like to travel to? And probably Pat the Bunny. Let me back up. And, sure, and, sure, and sure. Pat the Bunny and William Faulkner. <laughs> one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? India. Oh, that's a good answer. Good uh, favorite holiday? Halloween, it's my birthday. What can I say? You and my mom both. Oh, it's the best birthday. So, yes, I, and, you know, candy corn. Sure. <laughs> Are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Coffee. I know the answer to this, but cats or dogs? You don't know the answer oh. only because I have a cat and a dog. Oh, so, oh. I am ecumenical. I believe in animals <laughs> as a, and just as a, as a universe of You're the first creatures. person to ever be able to appease both of us. Jill is a cat person. I'm a dog person. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean... Are you sure? Okay. I will Thanks. say I was, for a very long time, totally dog. And then we got a cat because we had some mice. So we did it grudgingly. <laughs> and now I... I kind of love my cat. Yeah, cats are the best. I like. <laughs> I love my cat. But <laughs> you questions, I will also say if I had to pick one pet... It might be a donkey, but okay. Keep going. So what is your favorite food? <laughs> um, my favorite food is um, sushi. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, my dad. Oh, I like that answer. It's a very good answer. Okay, Susan, I know that you are no longer based in Cleveland, but next time you're here, will you please come back? We have a thousand more questions. Yes, I would love to. Like, once your library book is out, yes. Do you do you have a a release date by the way? Um, it'll be fall 2018. Right, perfect. God willing, if I finish it. But yes, I would absolutely love to come back. I mean, I assume that I would do book tour here for sure i mean what i'm what i want to do and i'm sort of hoping that i'll do that book tour all at libraries yeah i mean not to cut out bookstores but just that that would feel Mm -hmm. like the right way to do a book tour and i would love to do it you know cleveland public library and i write a lot about bertram woods branch Mm -hmm. because that was my branch but (laughs) Yeah, maybe you guys, well, you guys certainly know all the heads of all the libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, we may know a few, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it just seems like that would be a very cool way to do the book tour. And it's yeah. also, even though it's about LAPL, it's about all libraries. There, There's nothing except for the fire. The 
what goes on at mm-hmm. LAPL is absolutely what goes on yeah. in libraries yeah. all over, just on a somewhat bigger scale. Yeah. But it's um, they're the issues, the triumphs. They're all, I think, pretty yeah. consistent for libraries. Um, and then I have to do the all the world libraries. Yeah. Have you ever been to Aarhus, Denmark? No. Really cool library. Add it to the list. Thank you. All right. Well, we're hopefully going to call this part one of our Susan Orlean chat. Okay. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you so much. So happy to have you here. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.